Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to Book to Earth, Chapter 11, The Desert. We are on the back half of Season 2 officially. Yes. And truly, this is kind of a, like a second part to last week's episode. I think they aired side by side. Yeah, I'm actually really curious. And maybe when we talk to people who've seen the show when it like who were of the age that watched it when it aired mm. like i'm actually curious about how this aired and maybe you know this like was this like one episode was out each week on nickelodeon were people like appointment viewing this because this was pre-streaming right i watched it on netflix in like 20 2009 or 2010 or something oh, so, so i was, didn't even so yeah. it was on it that early yeah okay. yep. and then it came off and then it came again so. sure sure interesting because like i just wonder when it first aired on TV, like how frequently, I mean, was this like a every day an episode was on or was it on like Thursday nights or? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Because like, because that would be, it'd be strange to have watched the library and then be like, well, we'll see what happens next week. Right. Like I, I this is, it feels like this is built for streaming, even yes. though it, it wasn't. I mean, I will say it is an exercise of patience for me to not just watch through again like i've seen it already right so sometimes i'm like i could just watch the next couple but i don't yeah yeah for the sake of this podcast but it feels like bingeable yeah and i I feel like we've officially now reached the point where i just kind of want to fire up the next two you know and once we record this i can right exactly so (laughs) um so i'm glad you were the one who pushed to try to do two episodes a week which is nice because one episode's just not a lot to consume. Yeah. Um, and you you feel like you want to push this story further and further. And this one, this episode really is a direct uh, continuation. It basically picks up exactly where, mm-hmm. uh, where we left off. We talked about how propulsive the library was. It's pushing us to Ba Sing Se. Appa's missing. They're standing there literally in the middle of nowhere now in yep. the desert. They don't even know what direction is what. And uh, that's where our episode starts. So why don't we jump into a summary? Let's do it. So we, again, we have the Aang gang standing right where the library disappeared. So we are picking up right at the end of the last episode. And they're staring at this endless desert and they're shielding their eyes from all the dust around them. Uh, And they're all alert. They're all searching or in uh, the case of Toph sensing for Appa nearby. But um, And I think it's important that they're, I mean, this is called the desert, that they're in a desert and we have that wind because one of the things with the desert is it's hard to track things, right? Yes. Because the sand just blows over the tracks. So there is no, even though they dragged Appa, like yeah. there's no way to see where they went. And it's interesting that it's, um, it's like uh, the convenience of Appa in that, like maybe they took for granted the idea that they can fly above all the dust they can they don't need to be in the elements as intensely as they are right now absolutely yeah uh and the only person at this point who's who's not really searching actively is just ang and he's he's standing kind of slumped by um the staff the staff's holding him up and he swings around towards Toph suddenly and says how could you let them take appa why didn't you stop them and Toph says, I couldn't. The library was sinking. You guys were still inside. And then Aang interrupts and he marches up to her and he said, you could have come to get us. I could have saved him. And then Toph says, I can hardly feel any vibrations out here. The sandbenders snuck up on me and there wasn't time. And Aang yelling in her face now says, you just didn't care. 
You never liked Appa. You wanted him gone. And Katara intervenes and puts her hand on his shoulder and says, Aang, stop it. You know Toph did all she could. She saved our lives. I'm so interested by him saying, uh, you never liked Appa. You wanted him gone. You wanted him gone. Like, it's so interesting because, like, this is the kind of thing we do when we're in this state Mm. of crisis. Like, we start projecting weird things. It's like, I don't, when would Toph have ever expressed that? Right. I mean, and that's the point is, is, is he's not making a logical argument here. Right. Um, but it is interesting because Aang is so used to saving the day. As watchers of this show, we're so used to Aang saving the day that we just sort of assume, well, by the end of the episode, someone's going to swoop in and that someone tends to be Aang and we have undefeated Aang and he's going to do whatever it needs to do and things are going to be resolved. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing Aang stuck with the fact that he didn't save the day and now he's looking to her to be like, well, why didn't I save the day? It's your fault. Not only is it, it's, it's, it's your fault that they took him. It's your fault that I didn't save the day. Right. Because you could have come got me. I could have done this. It's right. like, but she could, there's no way she could have. Right. And he knows it. Yeah. He knows it. He's misplacing probably some of his own deep, deep guilt. And then I also wrote in my notes that I thought it was, I mean, like, this is his worst nightmare. We've been talking about it from the beginning, losing a friend. Like, that's the reason why he went into the library in the first place, so that he doesn't have to have any friends lost to the Fire Nation anymore, right? Like, he needs that Mm -hmm. knowledge. And now it happened, but it wasn't because he was the Avatar. It wasn't because of anything like that. It's just, it was a random event, and his friend is lost. And, like, I think that's even more devastating, maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because then it's like, there is nothing to blame. Or I can't say it's because of my my special circumstances or Appa knew what he was getting into. Like, it, he just was stolen. Right. And and it also points to the fact that even the Avatar, this eternally um, being reborn, this eternally reincarnated being, the most powerful being, the being who is the bridge to the spirit yeah. world, the being who brings balance, even that does not make you immune to loss. Right does not make you immune to random occurrence, Mm. right? I mean, Aang can beat anyone head on, right? He can can take on it. He's not afraid of anyone. He's not afraid of Azula. He's not afraid of the Fire Lord, quite quite frankly, even now. But there's nothing he could do. Yeah. It's just like, it's it's such great story construction. Because I wondered how they were going to deal with the fact that it seems like Aang can kind of is unbeatable, but mm-hmm. but this is this is a way. And it's I think this whole episode, I the way that I look at it is looking at how different people grieve. And we get I mean, as we look through, so there's like the five stages of grief and I don't really know how I feel about those. I don't I mean, we as everyone has experienced grief and loss, right? So it's like I don't know that we could argue that those five stages are linear, right? It's like anger or denial, then anger. I'm going to pull this up, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I I think this episode does a good job of showing kind of all the characters in different moments of this to say, like, these stages are not linear, but each of them are valid. And Mm -hmm. uh, at the end, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see how kind of everything, well, kind of resolves, right? But... I think it's interesting to track that, especially in Katara and Aang, there's two very different avenues for how to deal with grief. Mm-hmm. And as, like I said, as people who have lost before, 
I think that I resonate a lot with Katara, but I've seen people who grieve a lot like Aang. And again, there's no right or wrong, but, um, you know, maybe they could learn something from each other on how to grieve. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And by the way, you nailed the five stages. Thank you. <laughs> Guess I think about grief a lot. <laughs> so, um, Aang, so Aang is clearly in the anger and denial stage, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, uh, just pointing, pointing at Toph as being the one who caused it, um, saying this shouldn't have happened, even though he knows it's a random event. He knows that there's nothing anyone could have done. So then Katara um, intervenes uh, and, and she puts a hand on his shoulder and says, Aang, stop it. You know Toph did all she could. She saved our lives. I love that. Now we have Katara in, in that loss. There's a little bit of mending between her and Toph. Absolutely. And there's this, I mean, we think about mission statements. I think the one is keep everyone together. Like mm-hmm. that's what Katara keeps saying in this episode. And it's because in the last episode when they split up, something bad happened. Right. right? And right. so she's just trying to pick up the pieces. And that is very much like a bargaining type of stage of grief right like finding the normalcy trying to fix things like that's totally how i am and then but when you do that you postpone your grief too Mm -hmm. you don't Mm -hmm. feel it as as suddenly and like achingly as ang does anyway i'm loving this analysis by the way i'm um yeah i'm a (laughs) psychiatrist today so (laughs) uh ask away about my woes um so Sokka, though, always the planner, gestures to the desert beyond them and says, who's going to save our lives now? And Aang storms off and he says, that's all any of you guys care about yourselves. You don't care whether Appa is okay or not. And he sits down in the sand a ways off from the gang. Um, And uh, also interesting that in was it uh, bitter work or I don't remember when, but uh, Toph was saying I carry my own weight and Aang says, Appa saves us. He saved us three times today. It was in the chase, yes. Right. And now we have the gang saying, hey, Toph saved us. Yeah. Right? Like, she, you know, wh- why aren't you also trying to empathize with her in this moment? Um, especially because clearly she is feeling a lot of guilt. So uh, Katara says, look, we're all concerned, but we can't afford to be fighting. And she's like, we just need to stick together. And Aang says that he's going to go after Appa. And he immediately takes flight, doesn't ask, just goes with his glider. And Katara pleads for him to stay. So she and the crew just decide, like, we'll just keep walking without Aang. Aang has to do his own thing right now. And uh, they need, because they need to get this information to Ba Sing Se about the solar eclipse. And she says, um, or, and Sokka says, you think if we dig out the giant owl, he'll give us a ride? So this episode two is interesting because I think that Sokka has some really great moments. But it is not about Sokka. Mm-hmm. Like this episode is about is about Aang, Katara, and Appa only. And I think everyone else kind of takes a back seat. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. And I because what what I, I mean because what happens to Toph is she's so dis, she's so out of her element, literally, and yes. she's so destroyed by what happened that it's like we we see her. It's like she's been stunned yes you know and 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 so she's it's like she's incapable of being who she can be i mean we're gonna we're gonna see by the end of this episode that she's 
literally just becomes a tool that that Katara uses, right? And and the Katara is just sort of telling her what to do, like you know that 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 I, that she it's like she's a, a a zombie at this point, right? Which is another way to deal with losses to just it's like she's disassociated with yeah. everything, I mean, and 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 then physically she is because of the sand and and everything. Yeah, one of the stages is depression, and I think that that's pretty pretty accurate mm-hmm. for how she's feeling. Absolutely. Um, Which is interesting because she's such a confident, self-assured yes. person. Yes, and that grief doesn't usually match how we are in our mm-hmm. in our best, right? Mm-hmm. Or even in our functioning. Uh, so Momo um, soars above the crew. He's also looking for his friend. Uh, and then we cut. So we get back to Zuko and Iroh. We haven't seen him for a while. Yeah, this surprised me because it just felt like, oh, we know where this is headed. This episode is just going to be this thing. Yes. And then they said, nope, we're going to give a B because we didn't have a B plot last time. Right. Really. And I'm so glad they did. Otherwise, this episode would be so heavy. Yeah. It would be too much, I think. So we have Zuko and Iroh um, kind of on the edge of the desert. It's this slightly wooden path and there's kind of like desert bushes. So they're, yeah, it's hard to place where they are exactly, but they're riding the ostrich horse together. And Iroh's sitting behind Zuko, and he's moaning and groaning dramatically over his wound that he got from Azula. His shoulder's really hurting him. And so Zuko keeps saying, like, hey, do we need to stop? And Iroh's like, no, I'm okay, and then groans again. So Zuko finally just... It's one of those great things where the person's like, oh, don't don't stop for my account. But they're like, please stop. <laughs> yes. And so Zuko, is, he finally just stops the ostrich horse. He lets his uncle slide off, and they rest on a rock nearby. But they hear something approach, and Zuko immediately gets into a fighting stance. And the rough rhinos appear. And we haven't seen these folks since, I think, the Avatar, Avatar Day, Day episode. Yeah. I described them as Fire Nation mercenaries. I don't really know what they are. I, well, I, I kind of forgot what they're... It, it, I think what they... I mean, they're... I feel like they're a... They're, they work well. They're not mercenaries because they are part of the fire navy or fire or fire army. I think. Yeah. Um. I think about them as more like special forces. Sure. Sure. That these are. This is like this elite group that that almost like special ops kind of stuff. Like they almost kind of work as their own thing, but they're definitely working for the fire lord. That's true. That's true. Because yeah, yeah it seems like every aim they have in mind has the fire lord in mind too. Yeah, they're just... <laughs> I was so excited when they showed up because yeah. I, cause I wasn't sure that they were like a cool, unique thing. Because a lot of the, the Fire Nation stuff, it's kind of like Star Wars where you just have stormtroopers who are sort of anonymous. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like, we see a lot of Fire Nation soldiers, but it's like, uh, but they're all just kind of the same. Here is like, they're this very unique group of people with different skills and things like this. And and I, we saw them in the one episode, and I thought, well, maybe we'll just never see them again. So now that they've been brought back, it's like, oh, maybe they're going to be this plot point. Plus, you know, we're going to see that they're now uh, aware that these fugitives are close to in their grasp. Right. Yes. I um I also love that we have them. We have we'll see the the bounty hunters from Toph's family in this. Mm-hmm. So there's like all these tiny little groups yes. that keep coming back in different places. And they're chasing different people. Yeah. So Azula's chasing her brother and the Avatar. Right. Uh sort of separately. The Rough Riders are now gonna be chasing uh Zuko and Iroh. Pretty exclusively. I don't right. know that they're going after the Avatar. Right, right. Um and uh, yeah, because they didn't even really know that that Aang was the Avatar. Right, they right? just destroyed or tried to destroy the city. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right, and th- and then we have the the Earthbenders from Toph's family chasing mm-hmm. after Toph mm-hmm. specifically, 
yeah, it's and then and now we have our gang chasing after Appa and whoever took Appa. So like, there's all these people in pursuit of different things. Yes, it's like an unfunny version of it's a mad, 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 mad world, right? <laughs> there's all these different crews, and we're going to be able to cut between them. Exactly. So uh, the uh, the rough rhinos appear, and Iroh recognizes Colonel Mongi. Uh, and says, uh, you know, like tries to greet him warmly, but carefully. And he says like, oh, it's such a pleasant surprise. Um, and the five, so there's five rough rhinos. And they have Iro, Zuko, and the ostrich horse surrounded. And the colonel says, if you're surprised we're here, then the dragon of the West has lost a few steps. And he says this as he clangs what I described as forearm blade things. I don't. I don't know. Sure. It's Batman. They're yeah. in Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and each rough rhino, though, brandishes their own weapon of choice that they're an expert in. So I guess the colonel has those forearm blades. And uh, we have a, an archer. We have someone with a, a pole arm or a glaive. Mm-hmm. I had to look these things up, clearly. And uh, and another that was like a flail, except for I think a flail has like a handle. So it's just like a ball and chain connected mm-hmm. to his belt. Yep. I think I think I did okay with those descriptions. Wow, you did way better than I would have. Uh, there's a lot of Googling. <laughs> yes, but the fact that you did. <laughs> right? The effort here. Um, so Zuko has his arm outstretched. He's ready to fight, but Iroh places his hand on Zuko's shoulder, kind of settling him. And Zuko says, you know these guys? And Iroh says, sure, Colonel Mongi and the Rough Rhinos are legendary. Each one is a different kind of weapon specialist. And they are also a very capable singing group. I loved, I loved that. It also makes me think about were the Rough Rhinos. Was this an elite group that came together at the Siege of Bossing, say? And now that 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 ended, they're sort of working on their own. Like, yeah, because they they all know each other, and I like that that the that that monkey refers to him as the dragon of the west we haven't heard that in a long time yes which which seems to apply to the siege of bossing say so i you know they're, potentially they they have a history together in that way as well maybe they have a music night history and that's where they all learned their good singers you, together you know if you have a 600 day siege there's some music nights going on so oh, yeah maybe they won like like the fire nations got talent version at the bossing say wall i would love to watch that that would be amazing. Yet another show I would watch. <laughs> so uh, the colonel barks, we're not here to give a concert. We're here to apprehend fugitives. And Iroh kind of looks crafty and he's looking between them and he's like, would you like some tea first? How about you, Kachi? I make you as a jasmine man. Loved it. <laughs> and the rough rhinos recognize that he's stalling and they launch their attacks. But Iroh is ready. And we see Iroh pull some moves that I was not expecting. So the man with the ball and chain launches it at Iroh and Iroh kicks it and the ball and the chain then wrap around a a nearby rhino's leg, a different rhino. And um, he then slams his hand on the back of that rhino and it charges off and it drags this warrior with the ball and chain connected to his belt, like drags him away. So he's already, what, gotten rid of two of them, Mm -hmm. two of the five in a split second. And then Zuko firebends one of the arrows in half from the lo- from the archer and uh, launches fireballs at the archer's that weapon. burn right through the, yeah. the bow. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Good aim. And uh, then the colonel bends balls of fire at Iroh, who deflects them. 
And while this is happening, while his attention is turned on Iroh, Zuko races around, jumps on the back of uh, Colonel Monkey's rhino, and roundhouse kicks? Is that what happened? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Um, Kicks and firebends at Monkey. Uh, tossing him off the rhino's back. This is the kind of stuff that we saw Zuko training for on the ship. A lot of like kick and fire situations. Yeah, it paid off. Uh, So Iroh then jumps on the ostrich horse, which I just have to say by now, doesn't it have a name? I feel like it needs a name by now. Do they seem, well, Iroh seems like somebody who would name an ostrich horse. Zuko seems like somebody who wouldn't. Yes, he would purposefully not. And it's kind of his, so. I wonder if. It's probably named Lee, let's be honest. (laughs) Probably, that's his only name he can think of. I bet Iroh named it, but Zuko is like, no, you can't name it or you're going to get attached. Yeah. Right? uh, I could see that happening. Iroh Um, probably wrote a song about it. Oh, probably. An ostrich named Lee. (laughs) (laughs) And so then, um. So so Iroh jumps on the ostrich horse and runs to Zuko, who does a sweet jump off the rhino's back and lands right behind Iroh. I wondered here, though, like, why not just take the rhino? Zuko knows how to ride a rhino. We've seen him do it before. Man, yeah, I guess maybe the ostrich horse, they just have history. And maybe they eat less. Like, the rhino, you got to spend a lot of time trying to feed. Maybe at some point they're like, we're going to give this back to Song. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I just mean you could take both. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I did have that thought seeing him on the rhino. Like, oh, this is an opportunity. But then we would also have the rough rhinos without rhino, without a rhino. So right, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then, I as they're speeding off together, they're escaping. Iroh says, "It's nice to see old friends." And Zuko says, "Too bad you don't have any old friends that don't want to attack you." And Iroh says, <laughs> thinking, "Hmm," and he grasped his pained shoulder and says. Old friends that don't want to attack me. I loved how full of portent that was. (laughs) Me too. So now we uh, go back to the Aang gang minus Aang. And they're in the middle of the desert searching for Appa. And they're all panting. Sokka puts Momo on his head and uses his wings as shade from the sun. Uh, I love that Sokka's holding Momo too. So Toph... Uh, this is a real Sokka Momo episode. Yes. Like, for them being... They, they, they together are comic relief, as we'll see. There is a bromance there. Yeah. So uh, Sokka stops then, you know, to put the wings up for the sun. And Toph can't sense that he stopped in the sand. So she runs into the back of him when he pauses. And he asks, can't you see where you're going? And she's like, no, of course not. And uh, his sweaty clothes get stuck to hers. So Toph asks Katara for water, and Katara obliges but warns him that they're running low. And so she opens up her pouch, uh, her waterbending pouch, and sends these three small orbs of water into the mouths of Sokka, Momo, and Toph. Interestingly, not for herself. I noticed that. So Sokka says, wait, we're drinking your bending water? You said that this, or you use this on the swamp guy. And then Toph and Momo agree that it tastes swampy. They're like kind of gagging a little bit. Yeah, it does make me think of like where that water's yeah. been. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it's like backwash kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just a lot of mystery in that water. Um, so Sokka triumphantly though spots a lush green cactus nearby. It's like the only one in the for or in the in the desert. And he runs up and slashes it with machete and immediately drinks the juice from inside. And Katara, being kind of a motherly person in this moment, warns him not to eat from strange plants. But he and Momo are already indulging in the water and the juice inside. It looks great, too. It does. Okay, I made this note that 
sometimes animators can make animated food look so good that I think about it years later. Like there's this bread loaf in Aladdin and he breaks the bread and he gives some of it to uh, to Abu, the mm-hmm. monkey. Do you know what the scene I'm talking about? No, but... Man, I talked to Mike about it and he's like, yes, the bread. Like we both think about that. Huh. Once I made Mike watch the entire DuckTales movie just so I could watch a three second scene of ice cream falling from the sky because it looks so good. And I feel like this is one of those things. Yeah. Because this this episode makes you thirsty and then it's like, this seems yes. like a good option. Also, it's like the only color that you see the whole episode. Right. So just as Sokka's starting to call it thirst quenching, his eyes go wide and he shakes his head wildly. And he begins this like half crazed monologue and he says, drink cactus juice. It'll quench you. Nothing's quenchier. It's the quenchiest. And there's shots of him like doing the worm <laughs> in the desert sand and of him drooling right in front of the camera. And so clearly he's high on this cactus juice. And Katara tosses out the rest of the juice. And Sokka asks, who set Toph on fire? So now it's a clever way that the writers wrote him out. Like he is no longer able to plan. And he is our planner. Right. So it's like all falling on Katara to plan. We also don't get him... We don't get, he's now out of any stages of grief situation because he has moved to self-medicating. Yes. Right? Like, and and, and, the, and it also gives us comic relief here because this is going to be a runner throughout. Uh, you know, part of it reminds me of the, the Simpsons episode when Homer eats the like, I forget what kind of pep what kind of pepper it is the insanity pepper and it's Mm. like then he goes on this like he goes on his own little quest uh and Sokka and Momo are going to be on their own version of this quest throughout the episode I almost wish they did that thing that these that the creators do sometimes where they like see the like you see from their vision what they're looking at Mm because these two are high as a kite yeah they they are not yeah they're not all right uh, and Momo's high too, and he's circling rapidly above them and then dive bombs straight into the ground. And so Katara carries an incapacitated Momo, and she and Toph walk off screen, looking for Appa, looking for Aang. But Sokka still stands in frame, and he's slumped over and drooling, staring at the sky. So Katara grabs his hand and forces him to move um, so that they can get out of here, and he goes in the middle. Are we in the middle of the ocean? <laughs> right? Like he's, he's not, not present. So then we see Aang soaring over the desert sand dunes, and he's yelling for Appa and blowing his bison whistle, but with no luck. The bison whistle was smart. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, me too. And he lands on a dune, and he lets out one more desperate cry for Appa, and then tears well up in his eyes. And he jumps high and lands straight down with his staff hitting the earth, yelling no. And a mushroom cloud of dust billows above him, which Katara sees, um, and... Sokka says, it's a giant mushroom. Maybe it's friendly. And his arms start waving. Um, and he's he's like zoned out and, and wide-eyed Momo's on his back. Guitarra says they have to keep moving. She hopes Aang's okay. Uh, but Sokka's waving his arms. I wrote like an inflatable air dancer exactly. at a car dealership. Exactly. Like, That's a perfect Really Lucy, loosey-goosey and singing, uh, mushy, giant friend. So then... We go back to the Misty Palms Oasis from the last episode, and uh, we see Toph's parents, bounty hunters, Jin Fu and uh, Master Yu, and they're questioning a local, maybe like the barkeep or something. And uh, the barkeep says, like, yes, we've seen a little blind girl and her friends 
passed through a few days ago and now they're in the desert, but there's no chance they would have survived. And Jin Fu said, that's okay, because she's wanted, dead or alive. And Master Yu says, no, nah, I'm pretty certain her father wants her alive. <laughs> that's that very funny. They're a great pair. I really like that setup. Because like, why would you hire... Well, I understand why you would hire either of them. Yeah. But why would you hire them to work together? It's like, yes, it's like the two cops in some yeah, like it's a great drama that are just the funny... Mismatched, yeah. Yes, and so incompetent together. Uh, so Jin Fu um, then notices Fire Nation wanted posters nearby of Zuko and Iroh. And he sees two figures at that moment matching the description of Zuko and Iroh, and they're walking into the nearby cantina. And then we go back to the desert, and the sun is setting, and Aang swoops in on his glider and lands nearby um, Katara, Sokka, Toph, and Momo. So they're all back together again. But his back faces them, and Katara walks up to comfort him. She says, I know it's hard for you right now, but we need to focus on getting out of here. And Aang said, what's the difference? We won't survive without Appa here, and we all know it. And Katara tries to get Toph to help comfort Aang, but even Toph says that as far as she can feel, they're trapped in a giant bowl of sand pudding. So would you say that that Aang is moving towards depression now where it's where he's just like it's like the because that that is no longer angry Aang. And now it's just like, what's the point of any of this? I think it's I think it's a big combo of all of it because mm-hmm. you see like the bursts of anger, too. Right, right, right. And those will keep coming back. So, yeah, I don't know that it's I don't. I don't ever view it as like linear or just one right. on its own, right? right. Um, but it isn't. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm not saying like he's yeah. progressing through this, but it's like it's interesting because he went from sort of the 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 heights of anger with the mushroom cloud to now it's just like, okay, yeah. if I'm not angry, then it's like what's then the, what's the point, right? Like, yeah, and I think that's so real because it's like, man. Mm, like when I've been in grief and I have those angry, angry moments afterwards, it feels better, but not right. Like it mm-hmm. feels good to get that negative energy out somewhere, but then you're left so drained. Right. Right. And that's where he is. Yep. Um, And, and it's also interesting that he doesn't face them ever. Like the only time he's really facing any of his friends is in anger mm-hmm. and any other time his back is to them. He's slumped over. He's not looking. Mm hmm. He's not accepting, really. Um, And Sokka and Momo are laid spread out in the sand nearby. And Sokka suggests they ask the circle birds how to get to Ba Sing Se. And he's pointing above him. And there are these four giant buzzard wasps circling. Now, did you look up buzzard wasps? I did. Okay. Because that that was going to be my guess. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. 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 Because they're like, they're waiting for them to die, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they're yeah. very wasp-like. The only thing that's buzzardy is like their face, I think. And, yeah, and the circling. I mean, and like, the like their, their actions seem very buzzard-like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Katara looks between a distraught Aang and a fading and a tired Toph and a crazed Momo and Sokka, and she resolves that they must survive. And she knows at this point it's on her. And she says, we're getting out of this desert and we're going to do it together. Aang, get up. Everybody hold hands. We can do this. We have to. And she leads the gang through, and they're all holding hands in a chain. This is such a great visual, like the procession of people in you know that we're very familiar with all in these different states. Mm-hmm. It also sort of reminds me of like um, and this is this is a very common thing when you have a, a story with like a, a group of people who are kind of a team, like when how you see the sort of the level shift, like when everybody 
is down, right? Somebody has to step up and be the sort of positive propellant force, yep. right? And what usually happens in those stories is you, you see that shift over time. And as we've seen them go through, right, we've seen different people step into the fore mm-hmm. to be the sort of let me carry you person in Katara. This this is the perfect image of Katara in that role. Yes. It's like she's the glue mm-hmm. that holds everything together. And uh, I, I looked up um, bargaining as the stage of grief. And it says, the person is willing to concede the outcome, but attempts to do so by squeezing a few more moments of normal out of the turmoil that pounds on life's door. The individual is clinging to threads of hope. Um, and they... Um, they feel a sense of guilt or responsibility, bargaining with um, ways to prevent more emotional pain or future losses, right? And like that's her whole thing, mm-hmm. keeping us all together. Because when Aang left, um, Sokka and Momo got high on cactus juice, mm-hmm. right? Like if Aang leaves again, something else will likely happen. And she wants to prevent that. She wants to be – she doesn't want to be in the position that Toph had to make where she had to choose between friends. Exactly. So uh, – Nightfall, um, it's nightfall in the desert, and the Aang gang is losing energy clearly. They're trudging through the sand, and Katara suggests they stop for the night, which the whole crew sighs and collapses. Um, But then they ask her for more water, and she gives them the last of what she has. But as she draws it from the pouch, Momo jumps through the floating orb, and the water falls into the sand. And I, at this point, was like, oh, no, and so was Sokka. He says, Momo, no, you've killed us all. And Katara draws the water from the sand, and then Sokka's like, oh, right, bending, which is exactly what I did in right. my mind. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's smart. So Katara, Katara said to Sokka, let me see the things that you got from the library. This excited me. I know. Sokka grasps at his scrolls. He's paranoid. He's sitting. He, like, moves away from her. And he's like, I, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not a thief. I didn't steal anything. And uh, he points at Momo and he says that, Momo, you ratted me out. And Momo puts his paws to his eyes and cries. <laughs> uh, and Katara ignores his dramatics and just grabs the scrolls. But Aang says that the scrolls aren't going to help them find Appa. And Katara says they'll help them find Bossing Say in the morning, though. I, I love this because it, it actually reminds me of. Uh, like parts of video games when you pick up certain items or you come to places where it's like, oh, now I have this. And then and you, it, they're hard parts because you're often like scrolling through a bunch of text, but like <laughs> here's where we're going to learn something that's going to help us get somewhere. And so so the idea of like like what did they get from the library, it's like this potential boon of information. Yeah. So. Hopefully it's all useful. <laughs> it's not just random scrolls you found. So back at the cantina, Zuko and Iroh sit on a table off to the side. In, inside, there's low lighting. They're against the wall. Um, and they're surveying the packed bar. And Zuko says no one looks like they'd help them, that most of the customers look like, quote, filthy wanderers. And then Iroh cheerily says, so do we. And Iroh looks past Zuko, and he sees this elderly man sitting by himself at a large pie show table across the room we haven't seen pie show in a while no it's been yeah it's been like a season before the siege of the north yeah (laughs) and uh he says i think i found our friend and zuko goes you brought us here to gamble at pie show and ira says i don't think that this is a gamble i got really excited because 
I had this feeling that Pie Show was going to have more meaning, and this is where it starts to deliver. Yep. So they walk over to the Pie Show player, and we see Jin, Fu, and Yu, and they're sitting side by side in the background watching them. Very obviously, they look like an odd couple sitting mm-hmm. there. Because they don't look like filthy wanderers. Right. And they also don't look like friends. Right. They just <laughs> they look really uncomfortable. And Jin Fu stands abruptly and says, let's take them now. But Yu forces him to sit and to wait. Very earthbendery of him. And says, there are desperate characters around them who may try to fight them if they reveal that they're bounty hunters. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Right? Like, like they're not in a room that's neutral. Like, mm-hmm. everyone in here probably wants And this money. is where it does have sort of the most Isley's vibe. It's like, yeah. everybody here is potentially a bounty hunter. Yes. And know. all it takes is just one moment and then everything can be set yep. off. And it reeks of desperation in that way. <laughs> yes. yes. So meanwhile, as they're waiting, Iroh asks to play a game of pie show, and he places one piece confidently on the board. And the man notes notes what piece he put and said, I see you favor the white lotus gambit. Not many still cling to the ancient ways. And then Iroh, in an almost mechanic response, says, those who do can always find a friend. And it's great because you, you, you can tell right away that they're speaking in a kind of code. Yes, they're rehearsing something. Yes. Uh, so they begin to play, but they're not really playing. They're just setting down piece after piece. And even a skeptical Zuko pulls up a chair and he's kind of like unwillingly transfixed on what's happening. And when they're done placing the trial uh, tiles, we see a shot from above. They had made a lotus image on the board with their tiles. And the man said, welcome, brother. The white lotus opens wide to those who know her secrets. And Zuko says, what are you old gas bags talking about? I love gas bags. Love that. And Iroh says, I always tried to tell you that Pie Show is more than just a game. And he weaves the tile through his fingers expertly. Yeah. Smooth. Yeah. yeah. No, that was. And that's also, I think in, um, is it in Top Gun that Tom Cruise does that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it's also like a great 80s callback that he's like, <laughs> I'm cool like Tom Cruise in Top Gun. <laughs> and he is. He is. Uh, so Jin Fu is impatient and he stands up and charges I- towards Iroh and he says, I'm not waiting all night for these geezers to finish yapping. And I'm like, literally wait. Like you waited two minutes. You know, right, right. Like, like, just relax, settle down. And Jin Fu and you then approach Iroh and Zuko, calling them fugitives. But the Pai Show man intervenes. He stands between the two groups and says, I knew it. You two are wanted criminals with a giant bounty on your heads. And at this, Zuko's like thinking that they're in trouble, right? Like everyone's against them, but he waits. And the Pai Show man addresses the bounty hunters and says, you think you're going to capture them and collect all that gold? And at that, the bar quiets, everyone looking, and then a fight breaks out. And in all of the chaos, the Pai Show man, Iroh, and Zuko can escape. Now, I love this because I thought you was very astute to point out, here's why we shouldn't go take them because something like this could break out. And then we see the the guy at the Pai Show board like he ha- he makes the same observation as like, oh, I can actually use that to our advantage. Like it was so it was so it was such a brilliant piece of writing that it's like you is wise to f- to point that out, but other people are wise in that yeah. room too. And it's like yes, I can also weaponize these people and use them to my advantage. And they explained it in such a clever way for like a kids show too mm-hmm. for kids to be on board with that. So um, back in the desert though, the gang wakes up. Uh, it's really early morning, still dark. 
and uh, Momo is covering Sokka's body with sand. And so like they're he, playing at the beach. Yeah, like he's he's still gone. And Katara wakes up Sokka, who appears like he's still pretty high, and then moves to Aang, who says he's awake. He couldn't sleep. Again, his back is faced away. And he looks up at the sky and shouts, Appa! And he sees a silhouette flying in front of the full moon. And Sokka goes, Appa? Why would Princess Yue need him? She's the moon. She flies by herself. And takes Momo's tail and rubs it against his cheek while he's talking. <laughs> I did love this, though, because, um, I mean, Sokka is totally, like, stoned out of his mind right now. <laughs> but the fact that he refers to the moon as Princess Yue. Yeah. And it's just like... Like the fact, it's this sign that he's sort of still holding in this love for her. Like I, yeah. I kind of, I kind of like that moment. And layers of grief. Yeah, yeah. for him. Uh, so Katara realizes it's, it's just an oppa-shaped cloud, but she's still excited, and she says, "Ang, go fly up and bend the water into my pouch." Super smart. Yes, and Ang stares at her, grimacing, and snatches the pouch and curtly flies off. And we watch silently as his silhouette sweeps by the cloud twice, collecting it. And he lands back down and tosses the pouch, and Katara notes, like, oh, there isn't much water in here, which sets Aang over the edge. And he says, I- I'm sorry, okay? It's a desert cloud. I did all I could. What's anyone else doing? What are you doing? And he shoves the end of his staff in Katara's face. I, It's so interesting because now we, we've talked about all the different kinds of Aang. This is like the – it's it's not even – it's like irrational Aang. Yeah. Like he's, the stuff he's saying out of anger, he just doesn't even make any sense. I mean, yeah. Like, yes, it's a, It's like, what are you doing? Like, she's doing everything. Yeah. Like, in the same way in the chase when he said to, to Toph, you know, Appa's carrying you. He's carrying your weight. It's like, you need to realize Katara's carrying everybody's weight right now. Right. She is taking the Appa role. She's saving them. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's like, um, in so much anger and grief. Man, I, I guess you're always told, like... They were angry when they said it. They didn't mean it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's totally what's happening here. Yeah. But those words stick. Uh, and Katara sighs and says, I'm just trying to keep everyone together. And they begin walking, but they stop when Toph suddenly trips over something. And she says, crud, I am so sick of not feeling where I'm going. And what idiot buried a boat in the middle of the desert? And Katara bends down to check out the piece of wood sticking up from the sand. And Toph said, I kicked it hard enough to feel plenty of vibrations. So they know that it's some kind of boat. And Aang bends a giant stream of air, clearing the sand and revealing a sand bender glider. I mm-hmm. think they call it a glider. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With a compass on it. What did you call it? The a last sand episode? skiff, which yeah. is a kind of boat. Oh, so, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I like that better. Uh, Katara jumps on board. And she explains that Aang can bend a breeze so that they can all sail and they'll use the compass on it. And they all look down to Sokka, who's laughing giddily and burying Momo's body in the sand. So, again, it's Katara. Like, it reminds me of when she's in the prison mm-hmm. and she's trying to get everybody, like, she's doing her speech. She's trying to say, these are the things that are in front of us that we can take control of. Like, do it. Mm-hmm. And her audience now is just as unwilling. You have, like, a depressed person. You have Aang, who's just not himself you have Sokka and Momo that are like rolling around in the sand uh so outside of the oasis city though there's this small stretch of buildings with one that has lights on it's still in the dark and we see the pie show man guiding Zuko and Iroh in the dark of night inside and through a large flower shop I think so yeah. yeah 
and it's uh, and he bows to Iroh uh, at the entrance. It says, "It's an honor to welcome such a high-ranking member of the Order of the White Lotus." How excited were you to hear this phrase? So excited because now we have a secret society. I know, and it's and and what's interesting about the secret society is we know of two members. One of them is a firebender, the other is an earthbender. Oh yeah! So it's not. It's a secret society that at least crosses those two lines. Yeah, and it's like, who else? Exactly. What other master? Like, I'm assuming masters or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Important yeah. people mm-hmm. who've like put in the time. So, um, he says, being a grandmaster, you must know so many secrets. And Iroh is beaming at this, and uh, Zuko is still unimpressed. And he says, now that you've played Pai Show, are you going to do some flower arranging? And they reach a door in the back of the flower shop, and Iroh says, "You must forgive my nephew. He is not a uh, he is not an initiate, mm-hmm. and has little appreciation for the cryptic arts." I love the phrase "cryptic arts" because it is cryptic. It's like what what do they mean by? I mean, I know what the word "cryptic" like of the secret arts, the yeah. like secret, hidden, hard to yes. explain arts. It like, made me think about all the things. That um, that Iroh likes to do that Zuko doesn't, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Is thrifting a cryptic?" <laughs> well, I also his music. <laughs> I'm also thinking about the fact that uh, a few episodes back, Iroh was talking about studying waterbenders, mm. right? And it's like, is this Order of the White Lotus? Is this a group of masters? from these different things and they study each other and they're so are the cryptic secret arts things that cross the lines between the different kinds of benders like the you know like like the move he did to sort of learn from the water benders to cast the lightning off and like yeah. it's like i feel like maybe there's like this whole fifth thing that is this fusion this holistic view that he sort of lays out in bitter work like yeah. like this gets me very excited I'm still going to think it's a thrift shop oh, hangout. Thrift, thrifting can be part of it. Okay, sure. perfect. Yeah. Yes. It can be a cryptic art. In <laughs> fact, next time you go to, to Goodwill with Mike, you can just say, should we practice the cryptic arts? Oh, yes. He will be very confused. So uh, the Paisho man knocks on this back door room. And an, an eye-level panel slides open to reveal another man's face on the other side who asks, who knocks at the guarded gate? And Iroh says, one who has eaten the fruit... And tasted its mysteries. And the door slides open, and Iroh and Pai Showman walk inside, but Zuko is told to wait outside because it's members only. And we don't get to see inside. I know, I'm so bummed. But it's great. I'm kind of glad we don't, because I feel like this is going to, over time, we're going to learn more about this. But yeah. like, I... I love secret society things. Like, I'm a sucker for this in oh, stories. Oh, yeah. It reminds yeah. me of, like, Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So the then we go back to the Aang gang. And they're speeding through the desert on the Sandbender glider. They finally have something that can propel them forward. But Katara thinks that the compass isn't accurately pointing north. And Sokka leans over, and he's holding Momo's tail as Momo flies in the wake of the glider and says, Take it easy, little lady. I'm sure the sand folks who built this baby know how to get around here. He says little lady, which is from the last episode. Professor Z calls oh, Toph yeah. little lady. And we always talk about how he's trying to wear different hats or be different people. I feel like High Sokka thinks he's the professor. Just saying. That's funny. So um, 
they notice this giant rock ahead of them that comes into view. It's really the only thing on the horizon. And Katara reasons that it's the magnetic center of the desert. And Toph rejoices and says, a rock, yes, let's go. And Katara says, maybe we can find some water. And Aang mumbles, maybe we can find some sandbenders. Yeah. And so so he has a, a darker purpose here. Mm-hmm. It's sunrise. The gang has climbed the rock. Toph makes a rock angel <laughs> on the that. summit. <laughs> and uh, they notice that the rock has a series of small, narrow caves going into it. And there's yellow slime that's coating the ceiling. And the gang enters one of the caves as Sokka um, says that his head, he thinks, is finally clearing out the cactus juice. But it's only to grab a bit of the yellow goo and stick it in his and Momo's mouths. And they gag at the taste, and Sokka describes it as rotten penguin meat. And Katara says, you've been hallucinating on cactus juice all day, and then you just lick something you find stuck to the wall of a cave? And Sokka says, I have a natural curiosity. (laughs) And Toph says that the cave doesn't feel normal. She said it feels like it's been carved. And she says she feels or she hears buzzing coming toward them. And so the gang runs out and just in time, realizing that the caves in this entire rock is a buzzard wasp hive. Which is interesting because the compass is pointing them to that. Right. And I don't, I, I didn't piece together why. Did you? Well, we don't know the sand people's relationship to the buzzard wasps. Right. Um. And just because the arrow points there doesn't mean that's the direction you should head. It may be the center point of the desert, so you navigate. Away. You don't necessarily because a, a compass points north. That doesn't mean you travel north. It right. means it gives it just centers you to say, well, you know, you know where this thing is. Sure, so it probably is this big magnetic thing. There. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, it is the only thing they've come across in yeah. miles of desert. Yep. Yeah. So it's definitely a landmark. Right, right. So we get a commercial break, and then we come back to buzzard wasps swarming out of the cave uh, right after the Aang gang. And Toph senses a wasp, and she sends a boulder flying. She gets one, uh, but the second try, she nearly crashes this large boulder onto Sokka because she can't tell where they're moving in the air. And we realize Katara has no water left to bend, so they are in a pickle. So Sokka runs after one of them with his machete. And he's slicing and dicing at the air, but Katara points out that he's slicing at nothing. And he says, I guess my head's not as clear as I thought. So he's still not fully there. And um, Toph still cannot do anything. Um, And a buzzard wasp snatches Momo off the ground and flies away. And Aang says, I'm not losing anyone else out here. And he takes his air glider and soars after them. And Katara and Sokka and Toph head down a path on the side of the rock with Katara guiding Toph on when and where to launch rocks at incoming buzzard wasps. It's right. just like that weaponizing of her. Yeah, no, she literally is. It's like, point this way, throw a rock. And yeah, so it's, it's genius. It's, yeah, yeah. And they're like celebrating when she does it. And yeah, it's it's great. And it, it, you see Toph feeling like a little bit of hers coming back, mm-hmm. a little bit of purpose. And Aang flies um, below the buzzard wasp, catches up with him. And bends air at it to release Momo from its grasp. So Momo's free, right? And Momo flies next to Aang and waits for him to kind of turn around and head back to the group, especially because the group is in danger. But Aang glares after the buzzard wasp flying away, and he uh, lands hard on the sand. 
and slices his staff in its direction, and it causes a, a blade of air to jet toward the wasp and hit its silhouette from the sky. And it's pretty clear that that is, like, it's dead, right? Yeah, like, he killed yeah. the wasp. Which is maybe the first, is this the first thing we've seen him kill? Like, purposefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not not in the Avatar state. Right. Right, but I mean. And it's fleeing. And it's an animal? Yeah. 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 So this is, I mean, it, this it's a revenge killing. Mm-hmm. And Aang stares at um, at what he did, and he's unaffected by it. And he begins just walking back to the rock. And Momo slinks behind him, fearful of Aang. At the base of the rock, the swarm of buzzard wasps descend on Sokka and Toph and Katara, but they're swiftly smacked away by these large sand boulders that rise up in unison. And it's not coming from Toph. And we realize that the sandbenders appeared on their gliders, their, what were they, skiffs? Sand skiffs. Sand skiffs. Um, and they approach the trio, and Aang then drops in with his glider, and he's still looking angry. So then we go back to the White Lotus flower shop, and Iroh is exiting the meeting room, finally, to a half-asleep Zuko who wakes up with a start and pretends like he's been keeping watch. And Iroh announces that they're headed to Ba Sing Se as it's a place full of refugees where they can blend in. And he says, it's the safest place in the world from the Fire Nation. Even I can break into the city. This excites me to know that, that's, that they're headed to Ba Sing Se as well. I know. Because it means, just like that uh, buzzard wasp rock, it has this magnetic pull. Ba Sing Se narratively has this magnetic pull that everyone is chasing everyone and everyone is heading to this same spot. Yeah. The um, Then there's this younger White Lotus member who ent- enters the shop, uh, and he announces he has passports for Iroh and Zuko, but he warns them that the two bounty hunters are lurking in the street outside, asking passerbys for their whereabouts. And uh, then we go back to the Aang gang and the Sandbender leader. We d- I don't think we ever learned his name, but he's questioning the Aang gang about stealing that sand glider from the Hami tribe. And Katara explains that they didn't steal it. They just found it. And they're traveling with the Avatar. Their bison was stolen and that they need to get to Bossing Say. Like, she laid it all out. She's probably like, this is the only person who is actually wanting to know our plan. Right. right? Like, everyone else. Like, she's the only one carrying all of it. And uh, younger Sandbender, the leader's son, accuses them of stealing and asks how they can dare to suggest that Sandbenders stole their bison. Uh, we learn his name is Gashween, too. And Toph hears his voice and recognizes it as one of the men who stole Appa. Well, what's interesting is they didn't claim that they stole the bison. So it's also like, are you protesting too much? Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. I didn't notice that. And uh, the leader tells his son that they must offer offer hospitality if the Avatar's story is true. And Toph whispers to the crew that she's certain Goshween's the thief. So Aang storms out between the two groups. And he yells, you stole Appa. Where is he? Where did, Or what did you do to him? And he slices through one of the sand gliders with air and yells once more, where is my bison? Which was, I thought, a John Wick moment, right? Like, Oh, sure, sure, You sure. know, John Wick's, like, his dog. The dog, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he, like, wants revenge. It feels like a, where is it? Like, you do not mess with my bison. Right, right. It was great. That's a great line. At the flower shop, though, Jin Fu and Yu enter the store as the young man pulls a cart of large flower pots outside. 
And Jinfu thrusts the wanted poster in the flower shop owner's face. And he says, I got a tip that these people are in your shop. And Yu says, we know all about your secret back room. And they push past the man and Jinfu kicks down the door, but only to find that the back room is completely empty, except for a single white lotus tile. And Yu says, some unlucky soul has an incomplete pie show set. And Jinfu says they should forget the men. Just go after finding Toph. It's useless. So outside, do this... you think Yu knows about the White Lotus? Oh, maybe. Because that line felt. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it felt like like he was saying that, but saying that as if like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And it in. And he's an old master. Like it's a funny line, but he didn't like deliver it like it was meant to necessarily be yeah. funny. Yeah. I don't know. Like, like huh. I'll be curious to see if there's any connection there. Oh, that could be really interesting. I like that. Uh, so outside the city, then, we see the flower pot cart bumping along through the sand. And um, these are big pots. And the plants on top of the two large pots lift up to reveal Iroh and Zuko hiding underneath them. And they grin at each other before going back inside the pots. So they escaped. And now they're on their way. To Bossing Se. Uh, back with the sandbenders, Gashin's uh, father is mortified at his son and asks him, what did you do? And Toph won't let him get away with it and yells, you put a muzzle on Appa. And Aang shouts in anger, you muzzled Appa. And his eyes begin to glow. And we hear the Avatar music theme, uh, which is always a bad sign <laughs> so far, right? And Aang slices through another sand glider. Sand, uh, glider. Uh, Gashwin apologizes. He says, like, I'm sorry, I didn't know that you were the Avatar. And Aang's layered Avatar voice roars, tell me where Appa is. Gashwin says he traded him to merchants who are likely in Bossing Se by now. They were going to sell him there. So now they can go to Bossing Se and hopefully get both of yeah, their objectives. The, the missions merge yeah. for them. Yeah. No, and I, I think about this sort of Avatar state Aang destroying these sand gliders and, you know, killing that the the buzzard wasp and potentially, you know, what his next move is going to be. And it made me think of in, in Star Wars Episode 2 when Anakin also on Tatooine, you know, when he's going to save his mother and he finds out that she's mm. she's been killed. And it's the first time we see Anakin, like, kill in anger as well. Yeah. You know, and, that's, and that becomes, you know, narratively for the, for the movie, that becomes, like, this tipping point where we see, like, oh, here we have our powerful hero showing this sort of dark side potential, right? And it's yep. for someone that he loves that he has lost. And it's like, oh, this is like a... This is, this is a version of that as well, you know, as Aang slips deeper into the Avatar state. Because we know every time we've, not every time, most times we've seen him do this, uh, it gets real hairy. Yes, exactly. Gashwin asks Aang to spare them, uh, that they'll escort them and even help them however they can. But Sokka sees the sand rise up around Aang and urges everyone to just run to safety. So Aang is presented with a solution. Like he's presented with, I am sorry let me help you. We can bring you there. We can give you anything you want, but he can't even hear it anymore. And, um, the sandbenders, Momo, Sokka, and Toph all run from Aang in the avatar state who begins rising up from the ground in an orb of air. Like we've seen before. Mm -hmm. And sand is spiraling around him, but Katara stays behind and she walks toward Aang and she grabs his arm and brings him back down to earth. 
And she hugs him as they both stand in the orb, and he's now slightly facing her. And Sokka and Momo and Toph peer at them through the dust and the storm. And we see Aang close up, and his tears are streaming down from his glowing eyes. And Katara cries too. Aang finally leaves the Avatar state, letting his friend hug him in his pain. And that's that's how it ends. Yeah. It, it's a stunning ending. Yeah. And again, it's an ending where we, they're not resolving things. Like this is just, now we're watching a movie at this point. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, like, it's like, this is going to be this episodic thing. And, you know, we don't care about having a resolution at the end. What we care about is how do we, it's like, this is when it became a, a binge show at this point. Because yeah. it's like, you know, I actually say the last episode where it's like, well, we know the next step. And like, I, I know where it's headed, but now I need to see it head there. Um yeah, I, I I love where this is headed at this point. Yeah. So did you have big themes, observations that, that we haven't talked about yet that, that come to mind as you think about this? Um. So the uh, the mission statement of we need to stick together, I think that's going to be traumatic moving forward because we've talked about how at some point, likely, Aang's going to have to do something on his own, mm-hmm. right? Like he's had to do that before and likely it's not, it won't be the end of it, right? So it's like, He's going to have to wrestle with, I need to do something on my own. But if I leave my friends, what if something happens? Because he left and Sokka got high. He mm-hmm. left and uh, Appa's taken away. Um, he left and they ran out of water. Like all these different things are happening when he's gone. And um, he, he, I don't think he can deal with the lack of control mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, feeling and, like he's on top of it. And this is another version of while he is going questing to complete his life's purpose because of the nature of who he is that it it puts his friends at risk or at least um exposes them to risk i mean him being the avatar doesn't doesn't put up at risk but going out into the desert going to these dangerous places does expose them to risk right um for sure i love the i love the randomness of and we talked about this already but the randomness of appa being caught just sort of shows the like this can happen to anyone, right? The these last two episodes have really talked about how our heroes are human, mm-hmm. you know, and and the Avatar is human, and and the the Avatar still he's he's not immune to grief. Now, I also think thought a little bit about in bitter work when Iroh is talking about the uh, the different nations, mm. right, and he talks about the Water Kingdom or the Water Tribes. And their connection to community, right? And Katara is very much embodying that. Yeah. But what he talks about with the air nomads is their, uh, what makes them powerful is their ability to sort of disassociate from the things of this world. Yeah. Right? To like, to, to give up those those concerns and there they can find this kind of peace. And Aang is wrestling with that because Aang is an air nomad, but he's part of this family too yeah you know which the air nomads don't really have family in that way right i mean ang is raised as a monk in this temple not with parents not with those things but now he has a family right so Mm -hmm. so it's like can he be an air nomad and have this family can he be the avatar and have this family i want yeah and i'm sure every avatar no matter what element they're in uh there's tension with mm-hmm. with the goal of being an avatar and then also that like their cultural upbringing and for him certainly because you're right like 
he he fled and the southern air temple was destroyed and everyone he loved died Mm -hmm. right or like he went in to do this task to be an avatar and like find scrolls or whatever in the library appa's taken right like so it's yeah it's these competing things and it's like part of him does want to escape and evade and avoid Mm -hmm. but um Man, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's interesting because even if we think about the Avatar, the only Avatar we know other stories about is Kiyoshi, right? right? We don't actually know much about Roku. We know where he lived, right? But the one one of the stories we know about Kiyoshi is her thinking about what she would call, quote, her people, yeah, right? And it's about separating and saving her people from the 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 Chin, um, Chin the Great, right? So, mm-hmm. so there, so there is this sense, even with someone like Kiyoshi, who is not a child, right? Is a, the fully formed avatar Kiyoshi, that she has this allegiance to her people, right? right? Um, which makes me, I just like, I want to know, I want to go back to the library and read about the avatar. <laughs> right. I really do. Like, I want to know more about. Okay, well, what if there was the possibility for Aang to learn from past versions of himself? Like, what are the lessons? Yeah. That he could learn about these things. Yeah. Um, another thing I thought about, if we're looking at this as grief, um, I wrote that it's like pushing and pulling between Aang's version of grief and Katara's version of grief. And Aang's is um, like wanting to escape right into his heartache. Mm-hmm. And Katara is wanting to push them to- together forward, uh, which is like the hope and the strength that we know of Katara. And like Aang needed to leave in order to physically manifest his grief. But Katara wanted to keep moving, think about survival, the task at hand, like avoid similar pain by holding everyone together. But then in the end, they both end up grieving in the same way. And they both are crying in each other's arms. And so when I first watched this, I was like, obviously, Team Katara, like she's not lashing out. But I don't think it's that clear cut. I think this episode does a great job of saying like both of these ways are valid ways to grieve. Now, Aang does some things that are questionable, but like bursting out in anger, feeling these emotions strongly physically is also okay. But in the end, they both kind of tempered how they, how they grieve Mm -hmm. and were able to like, and I think that's where acceptance was, Mm -hmm. you know, that like final stage or whatever. Yeah. And I, I like too that it's called the desert because they've been in the desert for like five episodes, but like, they're in the magnetic center of the desert. And there's just so many biblical illusions of like being in the desert. Wandering in the desert. Right. Yeah. And like aimless, but also like the darkest point. Like they made it to the center of the desert, the very deepest, darkest time for Aang when he loses Appa. And like that's, he has to deal with it there and then get out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's like a very beautiful way that they wrote it. Yeah. I also love at the end that we see Aang... In the Avatar state, and we know that the Avatar state comes from pain. Yeah. Right? It's a way to deal with pain or danger. Uh, and we've seen this discussed as like potential as a potential weapon, right? We said mm-hmm. this in the beginning of this season. And it's like, yeah, who could overcome the Avatar state, right? Like it's, this seems like this unstoppable force, this unstoppable yeah. weapon. But we actually do see somebody overcome the Avatar state because if Aang left his devices there, probably kills all the sand people. And maybe even his friends. Like, because right. he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. Which is very, like, again, Anakin Skywalker, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like, like when you get to this sort of 
deep loss, right? And you lash out and, you know, and if we think about the end of episode three. Yeah. Right? Um, so somebody needs to defeat the Avatar state at that point. Yeah. And what is it? It's Katara with this, like, literal human connection. Yeah. You know, like, like it is, it is significant that it's not what she says. And in fact, she doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. It's about just like, 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 let me just hold you. Right? Yeah. You know, and I think about, think about being a little kid when the world seems to be collapsing around you. You have pain. Like there is this thing of like going to a sibling or going to your parents and they just hold you. I think about as a, as a parent, like that's the, it's the thing I most want to do, especially when my kids were younger and they were having like, they they just were feeling such pain. It's like I can't do anything, mm-hmm. but I can like I can be here and I can hold you and we yeah. can like I can do what I whatever I can do to make you feel like you are safe and you are not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, I love that this is mentioned in a kids show. Mm-hmm. I think that's so healthy, and I wish I had more examples of like different ways to grieve mm-hmm. when I was little. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I think especially in the Midwest, we're always. Yeah, such non-emotional, <laughs> right. Nordic people. Yeah. Yes, and well, we're emotional, right? But we just like lock it in, yeah, yeah. push it down. And uh, there's this book that's now pretty popular uh, for kids to deal with grief. Um, and so I, I bought it for a family member, and it's um, it's called The Rabbit Listened, and it's like this boy has he built this beautiful tower, and the tower was destroyed, and. Uh, so he had to keep building again and uh, all these different animals come in and said like, I'll help you knock it down. I'll help you rebuild it. And then the rabbit comes in in the end and says like, I'll just listen. And like that's where he was hmm. crying and he, like healing came in like the sitting with your companion, like just listening and, and thinking, right? Yeah. Like it's really beautiful. It's, I think it's that's absolutely so healthy. <laughs> yeah. And and, and, and that that's, I, I it's it's this beautiful image to end it. But it, what I love is it's both that and it's also not a resolution. Right. It doesn't that that can that can help deal with that pain in the moment and that that matters so much. But then we still have this propulsion of like, man, I know where we're going next. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's it is so again. I the, my other takeaways. I'm so excited because this is episode eleven. There are nine more episodes this season if we cut the double episodes in half. There are nine more episodes of this season, and it's all moving to the place where we knew it was moving anyhow. Yep. We have the earthbending teacher. We have the ticking time clock of Sozin's Comet compounded with the ticking time time clock of the uh, solar eclipse. We have the search for Appa. We have Zuko and Iroh going there. We have everybody chasing everybody Mm -hmm. to this one spot. We've already gotten a teaser of this interesting group of people working together, fighting together. And now we're headed there. I mean, it like, like it's like, they just sort of flashed us a little bit of the blueprint of the season and said, okay, this, you can, you can just see where it's going. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I'm so, I'm so excited. Uh, and what excites me is that as much as there's a lot left to this season, it also feels like this is going to go really fast. Mm-hmm. You know, where in season one, I kept thinking, when are we getting to the North Pole? When are we getting to the North Pole? It's like, I feel like there's no more wandering for this season. Like yeah. every, which makes sense because everybody says the back half of the season is like every episode is this essential episode and every episode is great. It's like, yeah, I can feel why. Because <laughs> right now they already, it's like they already know what they have. 
So they can afford to show us certain things. Mm -hmm. They can afford to end an episode unresolved or without a full resolution because they're like, yeah, like they're playing with house money at this point. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I love it. I love it. Oh, I all can't right. wait. I'm going to go home and watch the next two all right. right away. Annie, that is all the time that we have. If you're enjoying uh, our walk through Avatar The Last Airbender, especially our walk through the, uh, the midway point of season two, if you're excited for the rest of season two, uh, please let us know. Uh, Shoot us an email, channel3900 at gmail.com. You can also go to avatarwithacademics.wordpress.com. Check out our website. You can find all the episodes there. You can interact with, interact with us that way. If you have an interest in being a guest on the show, please let us know. We would love to talk with you on the show. Um, but like I said, that is all the time we have for this week. We will be back next week with uh, Book to Earth, Chapter 12... The Serpent's Pass.